from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit slash hypergig with details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the overlooked heroes of everyday history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and today we're looking at a lesson in persistence from Dr. Lucy Hobbs Taylor, a trailblazing dentist who proved that women can pull teeth with the best of them. The day was March 14, 1833. American dentist and women's rights activist Lucy Hobbs Taylor was born. She later became the first woman in the country, and likely in the world, to earn a degree from dental school, opening doors for other women to join the profession. Lucy Beeman Hobbs, Taylor was her married name, was born in Constable, New York, as the seventh of ten children. As you might imagine, her parents had trouble supporting such a large family, so when she was just 12 years old, Lucy took a job as a seamstress while still in high school. She balanced her responsibilities with aplomb, earning her diploma in 1849. Later that year, she moved to Brooklyn, Michigan, and began working as a schoolteacher, a position she would hold for the next 10 years. During that time, Lucy rented a room from a local physician and began gradually taking an interest in his work and in the financial freedom it afforded. With his encouragement, Lucy eventually decided to move to Cincinnati in the hopes of attending the Eclectic Medical College. Unfortunately, the school refused to admit a woman to its program. The sexist policy was a major setback, as Lucy had uprooted her whole life in pursuit of her new dream. Thankfully, one of the teachers at the college, Professor Cleveland, recognized the unfairness of the school's policy as well as Lucy's potential. 
He began giving her private lessons and was quickly convinced she had both the mind and the stomach to be a good doctor. However, he also knew the era they were living in and that Lucy, despite her ability, wouldn't be welcome in the field anytime soon. With that in mind, he suggested she try to become a dentist instead. For Lucy, the main appeal of being a doctor was independence and the chance to use her brain. Becoming a dentist would still provide those advantages, and the barriers to entry would likely be less severe than those of a medical school. Lucy figured it was worth a shot, so she took the professor's advice and applied to the Ohio College of Dental Surgery, the second dental school in the entire country. Sadly, Lucy was denied admission again because she was a woman, and once again, she had to settle for private lessons from a faculty member, the dean of the college in this case, Professor Jonathan Taft. A little while later, she also apprenticed under a recent graduate of the school named Dr. Samuel Wardle. Reflecting on that experience years later, Lucy wrote, quote, I commenced with Dr. Samuel Wardle of Cincinnati, finishing my studies in March 1861. At that time, the faculty of the Ohio Dental College would not permit me to attend, and there was not a college in the United States that would admit me, and no amount of persuasion could change their minds. So far as I know, I was the first woman in the field who had ever taken instruction of a private tutor. By now, you may be wondering what was the point of all that study if no school in the nation would ever grant her a degree. The fact is, very few practicing dentists of the era actually had degrees. The ones who did were able to charge more for their services and also had more legal protections for their practice. But in those days, working without a license was still the rule rather than the exception. In the spring of 1861, Lucy became a renegade dentist herself when she opened her own office right there in Cincinnati. It wasn't a prime location, though, since the college town had no shortage of licensed dentists. The following year, Lucy moved her practice to northern Iowa, where there was far less competition. Over the next three years, her practice flourished, becoming profitable and earning her a sterling reputation as well. In fact, she was so successful that even the Iowa State Dental Society took notice. In 1865, the group's president invited Lucy to attend their annual convention. She nervously accepted, half expecting to be chewed out by her colleagues for practicing without a license. To her great relief, though, the men gave her a warmer welcome than she ever could have expected. It turned out the invitation wasn't a trick or an empty gesture either. At that very meeting, the society's bylaws were changed, and Lucy was welcomed as its first woman member. After six years of struggle, she had finally won the recognition of her peers. Lucy's professional standing continued to grow in the months ahead. That summer, she was sent as an elected delegate to the American Dental Convention held in Chicago. And by the fall, her fellow Iowa dentists were demanding that she be allowed to attend whichever dental school she wanted. They even went so far as to issue an ultimatum to all the colleges, either admit Lucy as a student or lose the support of the entire state society. With the group's support and her own expertise to recommend her, Lucy submitted a second application to the Ohio College of Dentistry and was admitted as a student that same fall. Better still, in recognition of her years of experience, the college only required her to attend a single semester. Lucy's former private tutor, Professor Taft, 
was still the college dean at the time. He later gave a glowing report of her classroom performance, saying, quote, She was a woman of great energy and perseverance. Studious in her habits, modest and unassuming, she had the respect and kind regard of every member of the class and faculty. As an operator, she was not surpassed by her associates. Her opinion was asked and her assistance sought in difficult cases almost daily by her fellow students. And though the class of which she was a member was one of the largest ever in attendance, in the final examination, she was second to none. Lucy graduated just a few months later, on February 21, 1866, becoming the first woman in history to earn a doctorate in dentistry. She later wrote of the accomplishment, quote, I am a New Yorker by birth, but I love my adopted country, the West. To it belongs the credit of making it possible for women to be recognized in the dental profession on equal terms with men. With her hard-fought degree in hand, Lucy moved to Chicago and started a new practice. Soon after, she fell in love with one of her patients, a Civil War veteran named James Myrtle Taylor. He had been working as a railroad car painter, but after the two were married in 1867, Lucy began to teach him dentistry in her spare time. Later that year, the couple moved to Lawrence, Kansas, where they bought an empty lot and built a combination house and office. Working side-by-side, the husband-wife-dentist duo established what was later called the finest and most lucrative practice in Kansas. A few years later, the Taylors were able to buy a separate home and move their practice into a larger commercial building downtown. They continued to practice dentistry together until James's death in 1886. Lucy retired after his passing and focused instead on the charity and social causes she had championed for decades most notably women's rights. In the end, though, retirement just didn't suit her. In 1895, Lucy moved back into the home-slash-office building she had built with her husband and reopened her practice. She continued to see patients on a limited basis until her death from a stroke on October 3, 1910, at the age of 77. By the time of her passing, Dr. Lucy Hobbs Taylor had been rightly hailed as a pioneer of her profession. More than a thousand women had already followed in her footsteps, and thousands more were primed to do the same in the years ahead. That rapid growth eventually led to the formation of the American Association of Women Dentists in 1921. That national organization is still around today, and continues to represent the interests of women in the industry. The AAWD hasn't forgotten its forebear either. Each year, the organization recognizes outstanding women dentists with the Lucy Hobbs Taylor Award. Other tributes to Taylor appear throughout the profession as well, including in the realm of dental supplies. For instance, the Metalita company designed and named a modern lab coat after Taylor, a tribute to the woman who wore one first. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.